You're listening to the Redeemer Theological Academy with Pastor Brian Cashelmeyer of Redeemer Lutheran Church, Los Alamos, New Mexico. On the Redeemer Theological Academy, we mine the riches of the Scripture and the Church Fathers and find in them Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer. Here's the Academy with Pastor Cashelmeyer. Welcome back to the Redeemer Theological Academy. In today's lecture, we want to finish Isaiah chapter 60 and begin to discuss Isaiah chapter 61. We have a lot to talk about, so let's go ahead and get started. Picking up at Isaiah chapter 60, verse 18. Violence shall no more be heard in your land. Devastation or destruction within your borders. You shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. Now a couple of things before we move on. Notice that there is a name change. We now have new names. New names for the walls and for the gates. No longer will the walls be laid to waste as the city of Jerusalem, earthly Jerusalem, was decimated. Instead, now we are talking about new Jerusalem, the holy city. We're talking about a new creation, a new building, new walls. And so back in Isaiah 26, remember we had that image of that city of God, the holy city. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Now again, notice that it is God's doing. God is the one who builds and God is the one who rebuilds. God is the one who establishes and reestablishes. And in that promise, back in Isaiah 26, the salvation will be set up as walls and bulwarks. Now we are to call the walls salvation, which, of course, points to the understanding of a wall that is protecting the people of God. Thus, following the picture of the city, what is it that protects the people of God? It's the preachers. It's the watchmen who are on the walls. The preachers who are preaching salvation, which is found in Christ, our Savior, and salvation can only be found in Him. And so when the walls are called salvation, those who stand on the walls, the watchmen, they call out in salvation, in the name of the Savior, in the name of Jesus. Now, likewise, the gates themselves is a picture of the apostles and the ones who are preaching and proclaiming and bringing people in. Now, before, the gates were referred to as the dung gate, the fountain gate, the corner gate, and even the fish gate. But now, the gates are going to be called praise because they will proclaim the person and work of Christ. They will praise God for what he has done to bring salvation to his people, to rebuild, to reestablish, to recreate, and to bring the new creation, the new city, the holy city, new Jerusalem, the city of God. 
Now, picking up at Isaiah chapter 60, verse 19. The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. But Yahweh will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself. For Yahweh will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. Now, the days of mourning, this is the days of sadness and sorrow, that type of mourning. Not the mourning when the sun rises, but the mourning when there is a death, when there is destruction, when there is this sorrow and sadness and the pains of this world. And no more shall those days of mourning be with you. They shall come to an end. Now, we have seen this picture before, particularly in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, where we see the Lamb sitting on the throne, where we see the ascended Christ who suffered, died, was buried, rose again, and ascended to the right hand of the Father. And remember in Revelation 21, the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it because the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the lamb. Now understand this connection here that Yahweh himself will be your God. He will be your glory. He will be an everlasting light. And therefore, in the book of Revelation, we are proclaiming that Christ himself the second person of the Blessed Holy Trinity is co-equal with the Father. That as the Father is the everlasting light, so too is the Son. As the Father is the glory, so too is the Son. Christ is the glory of God. He is the Lamb who was slain. And no longer will you need any more Son, S-U-N, to be your light by day. Because you have the sun, S-O-N, to be your light and your life. In fact, that is how John began his gospel. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only begotten son from the father, full of grace and truth. Of course, in John's apocalypse, his revelation, later on in chapter 22, he says, The night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, S-U-N, for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. For Jesus is the light of the world, the light that no darkness can overcome. Jesus is the life of the world. The life that death cannot overcome. And Jesus comes to bring us light in darkness and life in death. Now, apart from Christ, though, there is no light. There is only darkness. Apart from Christ, there is no life. There is only death. There is no mercy, only punishment. And there is no righteousness, but only wickedness. But he is the light. He is the Son, S-O-N, 
begotten of the Father, but he's also referred to as the Son, S-U-N, the Son of Righteousness, as the prophet Malachi will say in chapter 4 of his book, saying that the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Going back to Isaiah chapter 60, we pick up at verse 21. Your people shall all be righteous. They shall possess the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands to make myself beautiful. Now again, notice this connection about the light, the sun of righteousness rising with healing in his wings. That Jesus is the son of righteousness, that light. Son is S-U-N. And because he is light, because he is righteous, because he shines his righteousness upon us, then the people, his people, shall all be righteous. So your people shall be righteous, New Jerusalem. Going back to Isaiah chapter 1, that's the promise of the holy city of God the city that is made holy by God, because only God himself is holy. We as sinners cannot make ourselves holy. We cannot generate our own holiness. Instead, by nature, we are unholy and unclean. Remember when Isaiah cried out against Jerusalem and Judah way back in chapter 1? And he was calling the city of Jerusalem, earthly Jerusalem, unfaithful. But then he makes the promise that when the Christ comes and his kingdom comes to bring pardon and peace, then in Isaiah 1, he looks forward to what we now see in Isaiah 60 saying, and I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. And afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness the faithful city. You see, God himself is merciful. God himself is holy. Christ, who alone is holy and righteous, comes to bring the mercy of God to us, reconciling sinners with God, reconciling fallen, rebellious creation with the Creator. So now notice how this fulfilled promise is seen in Isaiah chapter 60, in which the people, your people, the people of Christ, shall all be righteous as he is righteous, because it will be an imputed righteousness. By faith, they will be united to him as a bride becomes one and is united to her husband. What belongs to him becomes hers, and what belongs to her becomes his. Now, notice how this language, this language of promise, is then depicted in possessing or inheriting, that you shall possess the land forever. Now, this is promise and grace language. This is God's gift that as an heir, you have an inheritance, As adopted sons of God, by grace alone, you become heirs of the kingdom, that you inherit, you possess the land forever, to literally inherit the earth. 
Now, this is a reoccurring theme throughout the book of Isaiah that teaches us about the mystery of the incarnation. If you go back to Isaiah 57, he who takes refuge in me shall inherit the land, that's the earth, and shall inherit my holy mountain. Later on in Isaiah 65, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. And then finally, in the last chapter of the scroll, in chapter 66, the promise is this, For just as the new heavens and earth that I am about to make shall stand before me, declares Yahweh, so shall your descendants and your name stand. These descendants are the ones who will be heirs who will have the inheritance as a gift. What are we to inherit? The new creation, the new heavens and the new earth, so that we inherit the earth that is the land. All pointing back to the original creation in which man was taken from the ground, that Adam came from the Adamah, and that he was formed into a living being. But of course, when sin entered in, then there was death. And every one of us now is dust, and we shall return to the dust. That we come from the ground, and we return to the ground. Yet the promise in Christ is he is the second Adam, the one who comes from heaven above, the one who overcomes death in the grave, the one who goes into the ground but comes back out to take us with him to heaven. Furthermore, when we talk about the ground, the earth, and the heavens, and the new earth and the new heavens, notice how the Lord continually uses agricultural language. It is the Lord's doing. It is the Lord who plants in the branch of his planting. And we've talked about this before, this whole understanding of the branch. Well, that's the Messiah himself. He is the branch, the Nazar. He is the branch that branches out. He is the king and his kingdom spreads. Of course, this goes back to Isaiah 11, in which we are told to behold that there will be a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. That he is the branch. Of course, not only is this agricultural language, this is new creation language. You see, Jesus is the true branch, or as John will say, the true vine. And it is in Christ that we become branches. But he's the living vine, and we are the living branches. Then when we're grafted into him, we have life. So Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And Paul will also use this same kind of imagery in Romans chapter 11. If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, that you stand by faith. For they were broken off because they did not believe, but yet you 
remain and abide by faith. This is the language of the kingdom, of the new creation. The branch branches out. The shoot shoots out. And this is God's doing. This is his planting. Now, the place of his planting, of course, is the place where he is present with his people, bringing new life. This is the work of his hands. This is grace language. Later on in the next chapter, we'll have some of this similar imagery in which we're called the planting of God, that we are called oaks of righteousness, that he may be beautiful. Again, here in this passage, it says the work of my hands to make myself beautiful. Now, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves and let's go back to chapter 60, picking up at verse 22. The least one shall become a clan, and the smallest one a mighty nation. I am Yahweh. In its time, I will hasten it. Now, notice the language of the least one, the smallest one. That this right here points to the fact that this is God's doing, and this is marvelous in our sight. Now, this, of course, brings us back to that promise of Abraham a least one, the smallest one, that, that you have one who is Abraham and you want to look back to him. Isaiah did this back in chapter 51 saying, look to Abraham, your father and to Sarah who bore you, for he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. Now, remember in that promise of the Messiah, the seed of Abraham that would be a blessing to all nations, that his sons, his seeds in the plural would be like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Now, this is God's doing. God takes one and makes many. God takes the smallest one, the least one, and makes it great. Now, here ends chapter 60, and when we have all these promises, how will these promises be fulfilled? Well, that's what we look to in chapter 61, in which we see that theme verse right at verse 1 in chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news that we would look to the baptism of Jesus, that we would behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that we would see our Savior in the waters of the Jordan, and we would see the Holy Spirit descending upon him in the form of a dove, that this is the servant of Yahweh. Remember this the servant songs that we've been singing with Isaiah ever since chapter 42. Back in chapter 42, Behold my servant, whom I uphold my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Again, this is a behold. This is look and see what the Lord sees. It's at chapter 42 where Yahweh introduces his faithful servant, where the person of the Father is speaking of the person of the Son. Later on in chapter 49, we have that second servant song where we sing of the Son, in which we hear these words, 
Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. Yahweh called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. Again, in chapter 42, you have the person of the father speaking about the person of the son. And then in chapter 49, you have the person of the son speaking to the nations, to the coastlands, to the Gentiles, that is to the people of the earth. And when we get to that third servant song in Isaiah 50, now we have the servant continuing to speak and saying, Yahweh has given me the tongue of those who have been taught. Now, now notice that the servant is speaking. This, of course, is the second person of the Holy Blessed Trinity. This is Christ our Lord, who pre-incarnate, sent by the Father. That he, in that chapter 50, is he's lamenting his own pain and suffering through which his kingdom will come. But also notice in chapter 50 that we are clearly taught that his kingdom is not of this world. This is not an earthly Jerusalem that he comes to establish. Instead, this is a heavenly Jerusalem. His kingdom is a spiritual kingdom that comes through the preaching of his word. Therefore, in chapter 50, Yahweh has given me the tongue of those who have been taught so that we would hear the word of the servant. Later on in that fourth servant song in Isaiah 52 and 53, again, we have now the father speaking about the son and telling us to look and to see. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. It is in that fourth servant song, especially when you get into chapter 53, we learn that Christ's kingdom comes through his suffering and death. Now, when we continue to this fifth servant song in chapter 61, now he speaks. He speaks as one who comes to proclaim. Again, his kingdom is a spiritual kingdom which comes through the preaching of the word of God. And it is through that word that the Holy Spirit is given. And so, once again, you have, like bookends, you have the servant anointed with the Spirit, and it is the Spirit of Yahweh who's upon him so that he would preach. He is a preaching servant to bring his kingdom. Now, in chapter 60, in the previous chapter, we have a description of the kingdom. Once we enter into chapter 61, we now have a description of the king and how his kingdom comes. Now, Yahweh's new city comes when the king enters in. Now, I want you to see the connection between a kingdom and the city. The heavenly Jerusalem, that is Zion, the people of God, where the king is present in the midst of his kingdom. Now, I want you to see the connection between the kingdom and the king and the idea of the city and the Holy One of Israel. I mean, let's look back and revisit chapter 60, starting with verse 14. The sons of those who afflicted you shall come bending low to you, and they shall call you the city of Yahweh, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. And then later on at verse 22 in chapter 60, I am Yahweh, in its time I will hasten it. So here Yahweh is speaking He's the one who's telling us about his kingdom and how his kingdom is going to come. 
And so the same one who is speaking in chapter 60 is the same one who is now speaking in chapter 61. This is none other than the servant, the king, the suffering servant, telling you precisely how the kingdom comes that he had just previously described. And so let's pick up at Isaiah 61, verse 1. The spirit of Adonai Yahweh is upon me, because Yahweh has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of Yahweh's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of Yahweh, that he may be glorified. Now, when we hear the words of Isaiah 61, we want to make the direct connection to Isaiah 42. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Again, remember, we're taught the distinction and the plurality of all three persons of the blessed Holy Trinity. That in Isaiah 42, you have the father speaking about the son. The father says, behold, my servant. And then you have the distinction between the father telling us to look at the servant and then also the father saying, I have put my spirit upon him. That is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the blessed Holy Trinity. Now in chapter 61, you have the son speaking, saying that the father has put the spirit upon me. The spirit of Adonai Yahweh is upon me because he has anointed me. But what has he anointed him to do? To bring the good news to the poor. He's anointed as king to bring people into his kingdom. And how does he do that? By speaking, by preaching. Now he's the true David. He is the prince of peace. And in his kingdom, there will be no end to the eternal peace that he brings. Of course, these two passages together chapter 42 and chapter 61 testify to us about the baptism of Jesus. It is at the Jordan River in that water, when the water is applied to him by the baptizer, that is when he is anointed by the Holy Spirit. Apart from that water, he is not anointed by the Holy Spirit. Then later on, after being anointed by the Holy Spirit in the waters of holy baptism, that's when he goes into the synagogue in Nazareth and he preaches. This is how he brings his kingdom. He is a king who is anointed with the Spirit to speak the words of life and truth and the Spirit. When he speaks, he gives the Spirit. For he gives the Spirit without measure. Now, I want you to see this direct connection with David. David is a picture of the true David. That when David was anointed with the oil, 
That's when he became king. That's when he was given the Holy Spirit. So if you look at 1 Samuel chapter 16, Samuel is, of course, sent as the prophet to anoint David. Now here we pick up at 1 Samuel 16. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And Yahweh said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of Yahweh rushed upon David from that day forward. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Redeemer Theological Academy. For more episodes or to leave comments about this show, please visit our website, RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Again, that's RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Thanks for listening, and may our Redeemer Jesus Christ continue to be your life and salvation, your hope and your peace.